Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome in. It's another episode of The Bank uh, post-Super Bowl edition. I'm here, as always, with my colleagues, Mike Brandel and Jamie Seek. We'll be back to them in one second. First, a word from our sponsor, uh, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mike, Jamie, how you guys doing tonight? Too bad, Chris. Not too bad. How are you? Doing well. We got to see uh, Super Bowl. wasn't the most uh, most exciting game, but uh, was played. Brady with another championship. Congrats to him in the box. Uh, but that means the 2020 season is officially over, and we can start really focusing on uh, spending the next uh, X amount of months waiting. Uh, uh, for the return of football and uh, and the Ravens getting a chance maybe to chase uh, uh, their third championship. But uh, recapping the Super Bowl first from the Ravens' perspective, um, you know, Mahomes was quoted after the game. And he, you know, he expects that teams are going to implement the scheme that Tampa uh, had against uh, Kansas City. And, uh, okay, yeah, maybe that will happen. I think the biggest takeaway really was that, as we talked about last week, Kansas City was about their starting offensive tackles. And reminder, you can have all the shiny toys you want, will want, but does uh, uh, things start at the line, right? And uh, and so, uh, Mike, I'll ask you to just quickly recap uh, what you saw in the game and then kind of, you know, tilt it towards, uh, uh, you know, maybe the, uh, towards the Ravens going forward. <laughs> yeah, we – Saw how important offensive line play is. Eric Fisher goes down in the AFC title game. Mike Remmers has to move from right tackle to left tackle. And Shaq Barrett just gave him fits all day. And we saw him have a, have a big game. I think Mahomes just took another hit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, geez, he was running for his life. And with, as you put it, all those shiny toys, when you're running for your life, there's there's really nothing you can do. Now, teams can try to recreate that. But I remember when teams were going to start putting seven DBs on the field against Lamar Jackson to shut him down, and then he went on and won the MVP the next year. So um, teams can try all they want. Mahomes is still Mahomes. Um, he, he's still going to put up huge numbers and, and be a great quarterback in this league. And I don't think all all of a sudden you just start rushing four against them, and uh, that's the that's the secret. I and mean, you know. It helps to be able to get home against any quarterback without having to blitz so that your linebackers can cover tight ends and your uh, safeties can uh, help over the top and not let deep threats like Tyree Hill get open. But, um, um, yeah, I, I think uh, that's my main takeaway is, you know, not a big knock on Mahomes for this one. And we saw how important no-line play is. Jamie, you can add any uh, Super Bowl thoughts you have, and then we can also just directly get into how this plays with really the news of the day and what's been discussed the last few weeks at uh, at the board at BSL, which is uh, what's going to happen with Orlando Brown. And uh, today, officially, 
out that Brown has requested a trade. So, you know, you can kind of tie the two together. Any thoughts you have in the Super Bowl and then, you know, just in the Brown there? Yeah. Um, I mean, offensive line play, obviously the, the, the key here or line play in general, the key, uh, the, the Bucks were able to do what, you know, I mentioned last week going back and watching the Raiders game from earlier this year when they beat the Chiefs. They they only blitzed a couple of times in that game, and they were able to get get enough pressure with four, drop seven, so that creates coverage, you know, matchup things that you're able to slow the Chiefs down. And obviously without their starting tackles, the whole situation was exacerbated because they – I mean, Mahomes was running for his life all game. I've, I've, I mean, th- there were times where he was 20, 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, managing to get rid of the ball somehow. Interesting uh, link there was Jason Pierre-Paul being on this Bucks team with a defensive line that was very effective in the Super Bowl, kind of like he was when he was with the Giants. And that front four was so devastating uh, the year when they knocked off uh, – when they knocked off the Patriots. So it's, it's interesting how you can say, Hey, it's easy to, this is the game plan. We're going to just send four and we're going to drop seven, but you got to have the personnel to do it. And from the Raven standpoint, I think the Ngakwe trade earlier this season was all about that was about a potential matchup with the chiefs and realizing that, yeah, Wink's defense and his exotic blitz packages work a lot of times, but they weren't effective against Kansas City. And you have to find a way to get home with four and maximize the guys in coverage so you can try to take away or at least limit those shiny toys, as you put it. So for the Chiefs, it was all about not having their tackles and not being able to adjust to what the, uh, the Bucs were able to do. Jamie, I, I really love the point. I mean, it, I love it because, I've, frankly, I've made the same point repeatedly that I feel like uh, the, the Ravens have to against the Chiefs. If you think about matchups going forward at any times, so they're going to have to get pressure from the front four. And you saw uh, you saw the benefit of that for Tampa. Obviously, they were going against the backup tackles for the Chiefs. That certainly helped. But being able to drop in the coverage uh, uh, versus bringing the extra rushers that the Ravens have had to, to generate any type of pass rush, I just think that was a, a huge difference. Again, going back to the news of the day, though, we'll shift uh, directly to the Ravens. Orlando Brown has formally requested a trade. Uh, Jamie, how do you see this playing out? And, you know, there's a couple of different options that you have here. What would be your choice? Um, I mean, I think the, the, the ideal situation would be for the Pro Bowl player to be happy here, happy where he is, and for us to have, you know, bookend tackles next year. and possibly the year after in an attempt to, you know, run to a championship. But when you have a player who has made the statements that Brown's made and has made his point clear, I don't really think the organization has much of an option but to shop him. Now, that's not to say that we have to deal him, obviously. He's under contract. I don't if he, he's not in a situation where he can hold out, it's not like it's a, a franchise tag thing or anything. So I think you, if you're DaCosta in the front office, you shop him aggressively. You see if you can find a, you know, I guess the closest, most recent comp, Laramie Tunsil, 
maybe him moving, even though Tunsil was already playing, was already playing left tackle. Brown's only played left tackle for half a season, but Brown's contract's a little cheaper for next season. So I think that increases his value to a team and, for an organization like the Ravens that always does well in the draft, I, I would absolutely look to aggressively move him and then look for another option at right tackle. And I'll just sum up by saying this. The situation has been a little weird for me because he said it's not about the money, but we know that left tackles get paid more than right tackles. So it probably is about the money. But then on the flip side, the heartstrings get pulled a little bit when he talks about how his dad always talked about him wanting to play left tackle. And, you know, I, I can understand that sentiment, how you want to, you know, fulfill your dad's wishes. So it's an interesting thing. And then, of course, it's going to get spun by the media, you know, 15 different ways. But ultimately, the Ravens are in a good position because they can shop him and hold out for the best deal. And if they don't get it, they don't have to trade him. Yeah, uh, Jamie, a lot of thoughts there. I'll say 99 times out of 100 when it's not about the money, it's about the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, left tackle, obviously, uh, they do make more. I know he did allude to the fact that he felt his own uh, – his footwork is better on the left side. He feels he matches up better on that side. But, again, it comes down to dollars. <laughs> I think that that's the bigger uh, – yeah, you know, catch all. Um, I I like the Tunsil comp. That's interesting. I have to take a look at that. And I kind of come down on your point of view. To me, there are going to be multiple teams interested. There was a report on CBS Sports today saying multiple teams were already showing interest. So when you have multiple teams, that tells me that you're going to be able to get some competitive package back. Uh I'm not taking pennies on the dollar, but once the player wants to leave, as long as I'm not giving him away, I'm pretty much going to make the move. But uh, I'm not giving him away, and I I think that kind of leads to some of the points, Mike, I saw you making on on the board. What are your general thoughts there? Yeah, um, yeah, I think the Ravens should look to try to get a haul back for him. I mean – the team that is going to take him is going to have incredible value if this guy can be your starting left tackle for what is it, three point one million in base salary for his uh, fourth year on his rookie deal. So, um, I, I, the team that's going to get him in trade is going to get incredible value. So, I want to see something uh, pretty big in return uh, for him. Uh, that would be my first option. Um, I don't want to if we were able to keep him. You know, there's no guarantee he's not going to be disgruntled and. What kind of effort are you going to get out of him? Do you then have to bench him um, at some point and it just becomes an ugly situation where you get an ugly situation like the Texans are currently in with Deshaun Watson where he's demanding a trade and the GM and ownership is publicly saying we, we fully expect him to be our quarterback in 2021. And, you know, you, you just don't want to see something ugly like that. So there were already questions about his uh, work ethic previously. And, yeah. I mean, and he's been able to overcome that and perform and credit to him, but uh, I'm not going with a guy that has potential work ethic issues and then going disgruntled on top of that. It's right. time to, it's time to trade high and, exactly. and, and get the haul. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then I mean, hopefully it works out for both where the Ravens get 
some high draft picks, which I think the Ravens might want to stockpile some more. They have a first, a second. They earned a third round comp pick when David Culley got hired by the Texans. Um, fourth, fifth, uh, estimated to get another fifth comp pick with uh, Michael Pierce going to the Vikings and uh, two sixth round picks. So um, not a high third round pick, uh, no seventh round pick, but whatever. If you can get another first in there, um, you know, if you can stockpile a couple picks in the middle too and be able to move up in the first round, uh, maybe if there's a guy that you really want to make the team better or, or maybe with those middle picks, be able to get another right tackle to fill his spot at a cheaper salary um, than what Brown would have made with us this year. I think yeah. that's the uh, win scenario for the Ravens right now. Jamie, I'm going to take a look at what that Tunzel package was exactly. You know, it's escaping me now, but I'm thinking you get – I think we're all or that we're looking for one first-rounder back and then something additional, uh, hopefully. But yeah, I, I, glanced at, I glanced at it this afternoon. It was cool because – and Kenny Stills came, you know, went over in that deal too. But I, I think Miami got two firsts and a third, I believe. Uh, I think it was a first, and, and they ended up trading one of those. It was a first in this year's draft, or excuse me, last year's draft, and then a first in this upcoming draft, and I think a third. Of, but I, I, I could be mistaken on the third pick, but I'm, I definitely know it was two firsts in there. But again, Kenny Stills was in there, but that might have also been a salary related thing too. I'm, you know, not I didn't you know study it, but I thought that was the closest you know similar situation. Yeah. So uh, what I think we're all agreed upon is that at least one first rounder coming back for uh, for an all pro tackle right. at his at his salary so yeah. the, the three highest paid positions are quarterback edge rusher and left tackle if you're getting a left tackle with some pro bowls under his belt for 3.1 million and the option to extend him if you desire yeah um, yeah, I want more than one than a first round pick. <laughs> All right, but 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 just starting with, with that as the one block. So we get first rounder back. We had the twenty seventh selection. You've lost the the right tack. You know, you've lost your right tackle, pro bowler, right there. But uh, you know, there's been some discussion at the board this week about hey, maybe there's a couple free agent options. Uh, you could upgrade at center. We had talked about previously on, on a pod some draft picks that we're looking at. Uh, that interest us so far, and we're going to get into that again later here tonight. But we were seeing connected connections to a number of right guard candidates. But you know, maybe you maybe you upgrade at center, and then maybe in the draft you're able to, uh, you know, both right guard and tackle. Maybe you have the draft capital to go go and uh, go and address. You know, you'd be a young line, but uh, you know, if you have that veteran center and you combine that with Stanley, maybe you can deal with, with the youth on, on the on the right hand side. But certainly interesting. Definitely the biggest uh, early story here in the off season. Um, any last thoughts you guys ha have there before we move on? Do, do we agree that Tyree Phillips is not the answer uh, for Week One next year at right tackle? <laughs> it, it wouldn't I think, be. I think he's. A, I think he's a guard, right? I mean. Uh, well, I think I thought they bumped him out to right tackle when Brown moved. They, they did. They did. I'm just saying. I think he is a guard that they they did bump out, but I yeah. I think he's a. Uh, I mean, he. We saw the athleticism with the kick, right? But the yeah. Uh, but there was questions about the footwork, and then going back to the draft, there were questions with him with like. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, you know, I think he time. I think he played right tackle at Mississippi State too before and he was became a guard when he came to the NFL. And it was never really clear because they kept you know it was it was shuffling Fluker and Phillips kind of in and out, yeah. and of course Barball is always going to play it close to the vest, and it was never really you know, said whether it was a performance thing or whether it was a rotation or whether they liked this guy in this situation or this guy in that situation. So it's really hard to say. But, I mean, I think we got by at right tackle. And that was something that I, I, I popped into one of the discussions about Brown and was like, well, yeah, I'd hate to lose him, but we didn't have him at right tackle for eight games. And, you know, and after a game or two adjustment things got rolling. So if you can imagine that Stanley is every bit the left tackle Brown is and probably a little bit better, at least a little more polished, let's say. Mm-hmm. If you don't I mean, have it, Brown it, right tackle, you're gonna have your you're gonna have your all pro left tackle back, hopefully, it, you know, hundred percent anyway. So if you have upgraded at center with significantly and you bring in a first round right guard, I could potentially be okay with Phillips and you know maybe Fluker at right tackle, but or but, better but you got player to, your choice, you know. But you, you have to upgrade two of the spots, uh, and you know center was obviously you know that was crazy what what happened for the Ravens <laughs> really. In the, Never seen anything like it. <laughs> uh, that snapping the football cost them at least one game in the regular season and severely hindered their chances of winning a division playoff game. You don't in a million years think that snapping the football is going to be the difference between a win and a loss, but <laughs> lo and behold, that's what happened. Yeah. So uh, I, I imagine we're going to be talking about this a good portion of the off season. So we'll come back um, moving on on topics tonight. Um, uh, we talked a little bit last week saying we're we we're going to get into Patrick Queen further here in the offseason. Well, tonight's the night. He finished uh, third in the rookie defensive player of the year voting, and uh, that had some uh, smart quips back on the board. Uh, but general thoughts uh, 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 there, Mike. Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't really have too much of a problem with it. I mean, the, th- the, the panel that votes on this kind of thing, it, it's more like a popularity contest. Obviously, Chase Young was the winner and well deserved. Um, you know, big season from him, big things from him to come. Uh, Jeremy Chin, Antoine Winfield, a couple of guys that had fine seasons uh, that were right up there at the top, um, too. Uh, with Patrick Queen, I mean, if you think about it in a popularity contest sort of way, he came from the national championship LSU team. Besides Chase Young, he was probably the most well-known defender drafted um, coming in the first round off a national title team. First game of the season, he picks up a sack. He's immediately the starting middle linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, which is kind of a big deal considering who used to be the middle linebacker here for so long. And so he's just well-known. He's a name that's well-known, and people want to see how he's going to do. Um, First NFL game picks up a sack. He was defensive player of the week one week uh, with a couple forced fumbles and a touchdown, I think it was week five. Um, His his standard numbers were – yeah, you know, he, he started every game, which for the people who vote on this stuff, those standard numbers, the traditional stuff, he's starting every game. He, he flashes a couple highlights. Um, those are the boxes they check, and then they 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 that's and that's fine. Um, but you know, I don't expect those you know the panel voting on this to 
dig deep into um, how many missed tackles did he have out of how many attempts, which is a lot. And, you know, where did he grade in pro football focus grades or, you know, how did he do in coverage versus run stopping and things like that, or to watch the film and see that he got manhandled quite a bit and, and just, you know, bullied out of the play sometimes. So, you know, for, for popularity contest purposes, I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, third, fourth, I'd even say just, I mean, cause there's a lot of rookies that don't even get to play all 16 games, um, sure. much less start all 16 games. So Jamie, I, th- I think Mike really keyed on why he finished there. I think he hit that. Well, uh, I want to get your thoughts on what you think of queen going forward. Just, I'm going to reiterate. Uh, I did want queen to be selected. I'm biased. I thought he was the, uh, the best option there. Uh, I maybe made excuses for him in the fact that he didn't have the full off season. Uh, and then the, uh, the impact of not having the, you know, the preseason games, but you know, you wanted to see development during the course of the year, and you could say, yeah, maybe the play improved a bit in the second half. Maybe he started to be a little bit more aware, but certainly did see the issues that Mike uh, alluded to. There were tackling issues, even though he finished with, you know, I believe a team high uh, lead tackles and, and uh, blowing off the ball sometimes and also just out of position sometimes, uh, you know, directly, and also coverage issues, and that was a, that's a thing for him because – as a slighter linebacker, that's part of the reason why he was uh, drafted. So you could be you know, versatile in that, in that capability. But I'm going to say I overall uh, am still a believer in Mr. Queen and believe that he was uh, very young this past year and that he's going to have a full off season. He'll have had this year under his belt. He'll have the full off season, and you know he should be able to gain some strength and be that much more prepared next year. I think he'll be that much better what are your current thoughts on him yeah I mean I, I don't I mean as far as and just real quick going back to the defensive rookie of the year thing it it he seemed really put off by not winning it and not you know I don't know why it would really bother you that much I mean okay um but he our standard here of course as Mike mentioned is 52 that's a tough standard to live up to I mean this guy is arguably the best middle linebacker ever to play the game and his impact was defensive coordinators game planned around Ray Lewis. So if you're, when you're compared to that, it's a difficult comparison to live up to. Let's call it what it is, but you saw plenty from him to say that this guy is a, is, is a fantastic defender and going to be a good player going forward. But he now knows what it's like to go through a full NFL season. He probably has to bulk up a little bit because the biggest thing I noticed with him was really getting caught up in the scrum when there was a running play. He's, he wasn't really able to scrape off of blockers and, and get to the hole and get downhill. Now, if he, had a clean, if he had a clean look at a guy or really anticipated where a play was, he was good with that, but he definitely has to be able to maneuver through traffic better. And coverage skills, I think those kind of things will improve. It's just it, – it's a matter of time and reps and I think a, a legitimate offseason where the guys can actually get together a little bit. It's not all Zoom related. And all those things that come with being a rookie in the NFL, you've now got that under your belt. I, I don't see any reason to be concerned going forward. So Queen was first-round pick last year. You know, We're starting to look ahead to all of the uh, – 
the mocks that are out for the 21 draft. I sent you guys uh, four recent mocks from the last couple of days. Uh, just thoughts on some of the names that you're seeing being connected with the Ravens early on here, Mike. Yeah, it looks like a lot of the mocks have the Ravens landing either uh, an edge rusher uh, or possibly a wide receiver. Um, the latest news with Orlando Brown wanting out of here via trade and considering how the Super Bowl just went, like touched on the importance of O-line play. I wonder if the next round of mocks that come out are going to have O-linemen going to the Ravens because um, they always switch them around or have mocking where the Ravens trade up to get so-and-so or whatever. So they're always changing those things. One of the names on a few that I saw today, um, Olahari from, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, from uh, Georgia. Uh, he, he's a guy that kind of, you know, scares me a little bit that he's only 240 pounds. I wonder if that makes him like a situational rusher, but his, um, little bit of this, like the film I saw on him, like his, his bend is really good. He's really lean, able to get around the corner well and, and, and not get, uh, you know, get low enough to where the tackles can't get their hands on their pet on in his chest and, um, you know, wins with some hand fighting, but at 240 pounds, I feel like maybe in the run game, he might get, uh, bullied quite a bit. Um, shoved out of the way, and it's not something you want to you want to see. You kind of want a more balanced guy, but also someone that can just that can win. Um, you know, with a four man rush, someone's going to win consistently too. So, uh, scares me that it, about his weight, but wonder if he's able to you know pack some pounds on there, but still keep the uh, the bend and the leverage. Jamie, your thoughts on the recent mocks? Anybody? Uh, uh reaction to what you're seeing and then just anybody that, that stands out to you. Yeah. I, I always preface all the draft talk by saying it's so it's a little overwhelming because you really don't know what teams are going to do. There's going to be trades. Somebody's going to fall. Something's going to come up. So it's amazing the amount of time that's put into this and you sometimes come away wondering like, well, what am I even looking at here? I've got six different experts and they say six completely different things especially once you get outside of the top 10 so it's definitely a crapshoot because obviously if we move brown and we get another first rounder say this year that's going to dramatically change the you know the picture um i really think at 27 that that's the pr a prime spot for the ravens to move back and as mike was alluding to earlier we don't have as many picks as we normally get but assuming we hold serve um, seeing a lot of uh, the kid from LSU, uh, Marshall, the uh, wide receiver, Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver, and also uh, the wide receiver from Minnesota, Rashad Bateman. They seem like similar players, although um, I was reading that Bateman is better in a – that Marshall's a little more versatile than Bateman, um, that he you can have him outside or in the slot, and, and he's a little bit taller, so maybe that's something that, that – that uh, profiles better for us um, in that regard. But I, I'm really intrigued with the idea of, again, if we stay at 27 with, with going with offensive line. Now, as much as it would be nice to get one of those, as we said earlier, shiny new toys um, with Brown, probably on the move, we really need to get a high quality prospect on the right side, whether that's a tackle or even at center. I know it's a lot to ask a rookie to play center, but, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be worthwhile. And the two names that I'm seeing that are close to us, that aren't quite getting to us, but are close enough that you can talk about them, is um, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama and then um, Rashawn Slater. And the thing with Slater is he is a guy who's versatile, who can play tackle, 
probably profiles better inside, but could, but could settle in as a starting center. I would like to see us go that way if we stay at 27, because that's that substance. If you're good up front, all the other stuff around you kind of falls into place. You give your quarterback time, guys are going to get open. You knock guys off the ball, your running backs are going to have room to operate. So I'd really like to see us get better at the offensive line. What I like with the uh, the mocks um, is to kind of track how things progress between nail and, and then uh, after uh, after the evaluations and you get closer to the actual draft and you start seeing just the variances in the different drafts and then kind of track the guys that are uh, being mocked consistently within five picks plus or minus of, of where you are kind of gives you an idea of who's going to be in that particular window. And then to look at the different scouting reports from different sites, just to see sometimes there is variances in the evaluations and just to see some, uh, you know, different takes and you try and try and build a consensus, you know, from who's looked at who, who has talked to who a lot of these guys have their own direct uh, connections. I don't think it's a it's a reach to think like uh, you know Jeremiah NFL you know with his former Ravens connections it feels like to me he's always still had a voice uh, and um, yeah well, but, uh, you also see the yeah. mock change after free you know after free agency because obviously right. teams have needs you know and then you go through the free agency period all of a sudden you fill a couple of needs and now with the draft not and and it's the first weekend of May now correct. Uh, I always forget they've moved it back, haven't mm-hmm. they? Isn't it May first this year? So you so. have, you know, what is it, five, six weeks of free agency. So that's going to change, obviously, what a team, what a team's going to go after, depending on if they can make any moves in free agency. Yeah, that's a good point, Jamie. And you see, evaluators get kind of uh, picked apart after like a, a first round each year. They'll say, oh, this. Uh, this mock drafter only had so many, you know, correct. Well, I'm not looking for them to hit on uh, <laughs> on each team. I'm looking at or, or how many names did they get correctly into the first round. And really, you're looking at the back end of the first round where a lot of the names become, you know, comparable to the first five, six, seven, ten in the second round or so. <laughs> and, you know, how many are they pulling in there? And position-wise, do they, do they kind of hit, hit that in terms of, what teams are going for, but fun to watch. We'll get into it further as we go along here in the off season. Uh, wrap up here. With just two last questions. Uh, some of the, um, well, no, just one last question. So the power rankings are starting to come out for 21. That immediately happens as soon as uh, uh, the confetti fell for uh, Tampa there the other Sunday night. And we start seeing people in the prognosticators looking ahead to 21 and of course, there's a million different variables. What's going to happen in the draft? What's going to happen in free agency or and or trades? But based off of what is known now, we got some early power rankings. And uh, Mike, uh, thoughts on where the Ravens are starting in some of these uh, uh, early power rankings? Yeah, seen them anywhere around five to seven. I mean, I, I think that's about right. I, I think you have to assume, uh, you know, given that they have Lamar Jackson that they're definitely a top 10 team starting out next year. And I think five to seven is about right. Cause you have the teams that went to the AFC and NFC championship games ahead of them. And um, yeah, I mean, don't really have a problem with where they put them. I don't think I'd 
go too much lower than seven. I don't think I'd go too much higher than five. So um, kind of right in the sweet spot, I think. And Jamie, I see you nodding. You, you agree? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it makes perfect logical sense. There, there's really only so much you can say. It's not like we've had, you know, a key player retire or something to end the season. I mean, the only issue the Ravens have had come up is the situation with Orlando Brown. And again, I don't think a shuffling of the offensive line is enough to make you a significantly worse team over the course of a 16 game season. As long as, you know, as long as number eight is going to be number eight, they're, they're going to be incredibly competitive. Uh, John Harbaugh is always has this team ready to play and the Ravens have arguably the best front office in football. So I think where they're at is exactly where they should be. And after the draft and after free agency, if they fill some of those glaring needs, maybe they'll start to move up at the preseason power rankings, which is so exciting because with that three bucks, you can get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, but it's still fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, all the hype last summer was uh, basically the Ravens were second on everybody's list uh, going into the season behind Kansas City. And what I think them being at five to seven right now shows is what you guys really just said, is that they're still looked at as uh, a team that has a great chance of uh, hoisting the Lombardi next year, but there are some issues that need to be addressed first. So we'll spend the uh, uh, the offseason looking at that and seeing them uh, chase and try to get closer Obviously, the Brown story is a big one. Come and join uh, the board, Baltimore Sports and Life. Give your thoughts to the board. Interact with Mike, Jamie, myself. Uh, but that's it. That's a bank for this week. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys again soon. Take care.